in the 19, early 1940s, as the cloud of World War II and the cruelty of Nazi Germany were casting a dark haze over nearly all the world, W.H. Auden, a famous poet at the time, he returned to his childhood Christian faith. Auden had rejected his faith, childhood faith for close to 20 years. And he was compl a complicated man, even after his return to the faith. But he found that without Christianity, there was no firm moral grounding in the world. There was no account for what was happening in the midst of World War II. And he found that without the Christian faith, morality could shift back and forth based on who was in power and who got to dictate it at the time. So as he said, he began to believe again. And in 1942, he wrote an over 50-page poem on Christmas titled, For the Time Being. Now, you'll be glad to know I'm not going to read that entire poem for you right now. But I do want to share just a brief section with you. We who must die demand a miracle, Alden writes. How could the eternal do a temporal act? The infinite become a finite fact. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. This is what we contemplate at Christmas. In the incarnation and all that surrounds the story of the incarnation, God has done something completely outside of the realm of what we would consider possible. He has done something miraculous. And yet, in hindsight, when we consider who God is, how he it is he has made the world and made us, it's also very much like him to do this. Some of the key characters in the Christmas stories are angels. Now, we just sang about them, but we don't talk about them very often. In fact, in much of our modern world today, the angels are additional proof of the mythical natures of the t stories. So we rarely ask why the angels are there. But what if there's something about the angels' presence that they're missing? What if the angels reveal something about us, about the world, and about God? You know, in the Old Testament, angels appear at critical emergency-type moments in the world. So the angel of Yahweh helps this woman named Hagar who is in dire straits. The angel intervenes, as we heard earlier in the passage from Genesis 22, to stop Abraham from sacrificing his beloved son Isaac. An angel wrestles with Jacob at this critical juncture and bestows on him a new name, Israel. An angel speaks to Moses from a burning bush and he defends Israel at the Red Sea. We could go on with examples like these. There are also infrequent appearances of groups of angels. So there are two angels who warn Lot that Sodom will be destroyed and they help his family escape the destruction. Jacob, he seeing, sees angels at a place called Bethel and the angels are ascending and descending on a ladder set between heaven and earth. That's a very important vision when it comes to knowing what angels are all about. Now God is said at various places to be surrounded by angelic hosts. But glimpses of these are rare. If at all. And here's something interesting. Angel spottings, if you want to call them that, become less frequent as the Old Testament progresses. 
It's as if the further Israel wanders from God, the less we see and hear of his messengers, angels. So if you're reading the Bible through, and you come to the last page of the Old Testament, and turn from it to the first pages of the Gospels, the New Testament, it is a shock to find that the first pages of the New Testament are teeming with angels. Nowhere in the Old Testament is there a collection of angel appearances like those in the birth narratives of Jesus. Joseph dreams of angels. An angel tells him to take Mary as his wife, instructs him to flee from King Herod, and assures him when it's safe to return. The angel Gabriel visits Zacharias, Jesus' uncle in the temple, to announce the birth of John the Baptist. And Gabriel also delivers the news to Mary of Jesus' birth. An angel then heralds news of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. And this angel is immediately joined by a multitude of angels who are praising God. Now, we're so familiar with this Christmas scene that we don't realize how unique it is. Not just for us, but in the whole Bible. And our modern world is so numbed into disbelief in the supernatural that few people stop to ask, what's the significance of these angels here? Even among the saints of the Old Testament, only one person saw what those shepherds saw that night. And even that person didn't hear the angels sing. The angelic host usually stayed put in heaven, worshiping at the heavenly throne. But here, with the birth of Jesus, heaven comes to earth. As they sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth goodwill, peace toward men. Throughout the Gospels of the New Testament, we find that heaven and earth are linked together. Jesus is given authority over heaven and earth. The phrase heaven and earth, it actually goes back to the first chapters of Genesis. And it speaks to the whole of creation. These overlapping, interlocking spheres of God's creation. Heaven and earth made to be one. But humanity's sin puts heaven and earth out of sync. So earth goes its own way, ignoring the God of heaven. There's a king in heaven, but earth and human beings become enslaved to the prince of this world. So at the incarnation, when the heavenly angels sing to the shepherds, well, this is a sign that as the song goes, things, they are a-changing. God's will is finally being done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven and earth are going to be ruled by a single Lord. When we hear the angel choir, we should know that the Lord is returning to earth and he is creating its intended harmony between heaven and earth. So how does earth come into harmony with heaven? There's another layer to this. The Bible says that for a little while, the humans were made lower than the angels. But it says this is temporary. It's only for a little while. We were created to be raised above the angels, and ultimately we're told to judge the angels. The book of Hebrews tells us that angels are ministering spirits that are sent to serve those who actually experience God's salvation. We experience God's salvation in a way that angels do not. 
the angels in the birth stories of Jesus are putting the world on notice that humanity's elevation is beginning. The child in the manger is heaven on earth, and it is fitting that he should be surrounded like the Father by angelic hosts. You see, like the angels in heaven surround the throne of God at Jesus' birth, they are surrounding the King, the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is heaven made flesh, and at the birth of Christ, the angels praise a son of Adam, a human being, but a divine human. By their very appearance in the fields of Bethlehem, the host of heaven proclaim the good news that in Jesus, human beings have reached their destiny. What we were made to be, man made of dust, begins to share the glory of heaven. Through this child king, Jesus Christ, through faith in him, human beings are joined to heaven. You and me tonight, through faith in Christ, are infused with heaven. Through the relationship to Jesus Christ, your life is flooded with heavenly presence. And heaven and earth continue to be made one as we draw near and become more close with Jesus. The angels at the birth stories of Jesus serve to remind us in the earth of our true purpose. They serve to create awe and wonder. We, broken human beings, are made to be joined to God and to become one with him through his son. So, back to the beginning. The line from Auden's Christmas poem. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. This is what the angels announce. God has done a miracle. Heaven and earth, formerly divided by all of our collective sin and rebellion, have been reconciled by God as he took on our flesh and our sin. Because heaven and earth have been joined together in the birth of Christ, miracles are part of God's daily work in the world. When you believe in the Christ child, when you believe again after having not believed for a time, whether that's a minute or years, heaven is joined to earth just a little more. The angels, they're not a cause for skepticism. They're a cause for our wonder. Nothing can save us that is possible. And so God has gone far beyond that. Amen. Now, if you'll take up your guide once again, and I'm going to invite you to the extent that you are able to join me in this prayer of response. Almighty God, we praise you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, to bring justice and peace to our broken world. Thank you that he willingly suffered injustice himself, so that we might receive your generous grace. I confess that I'm not perfect, and I need your forgiveness and healing in my own life. Please forgive me and welcome me into your kingdom. Amen.